Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. It should be on the screens, just a moment. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. The most uh, common question I think I'm asked uh, by people who are going through challenging times or exciting times in their life is, how do I find my purpose? And sometimes it's very young people who are right at the start of life and working out what they want to do with their lives. Sometimes it's people in the middle of their lives who are working out what the next stage might look like. Sometimes it's people who are perhaps you know, a bit further on in their lives but still feel maybe they haven't quite grasped it. And there are a number of ways of trying to find your purpose. You can pursue what everyone else pursues. You can pursue uh, success and status and, if only there are a third S, um, uh, wealth. And uh, you could um, and try and find purpose and fulfillment in those things. And that might work. But often when people have all those things, they're still not fulfilled and they still worry. They haven't gripped their purpose. Uh, you can try and forge your purpose yourself just work out these are what my values are this is what I care about I'm just going to create my purpose out of scratch and just decide that this is what my purpose is going to be and that might be a better way of going about it but often still when people go down that route they still are not sure still find a little bit kind of unsettled have I found my purpose I've always been quite interested in the idea of purpose I was very excited when I was in year 11 at high school uh, in my school we grew up in quite a rough area and our school was quite rough and in year 11 you got to go for one session into the careers room and you knocked on the door they opened the door and you went in expecting to be told your purpose in life and in that room was a computer on one end of the room with an assistant sitting next to it and it was like the computer of destiny and you walked up to the computer and you sat down and it asked you 50 questions about yourself your preferences your likes your dislikes and then at the end of those 50 questions it printed out a sheet of paper with your purpose on it and so I sat down I was quite excited and I rattled through the first 10 questions and then there were another 20 questions and then about 25 or something it asked me you know do you like being outdoors and I thought Yes, I like being outdoors. It's great being outdoors. Fresh air, you know, the sun, you know, it's nice. And then the next question was, do you like 
nature. And I was like, yeah, I like nature. Nature's quite good. And um, just didn't think anything of it. Carried on. And it got to the end. Um, the guy pressed the button to finish it. And then it printed up. And it said, you should become a tree surgeon. And uh, <laughs> I was like, that's a, that's a noble profession. I'm, you know, I, I, I love people who you know, chop down trees and perform surgery on trees. That's a great thing. Um, but I didn't really want to be a tree surgeon. I wanted to be a lawyer. And so I kind of turned to the guy and I said, I think it's made a mistake. He said, the computer doesn't make mistakes. And I said, and I said no, 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 it, it, I, I want to be a lawyer. And he looked at the questions. He said, you said you like being outside. I said, yeah. He said, lawyers work inside. And I was like, no, that's right. And he said, and you said you like nature. And I said, yeah. And he said, lawyers don't do nature. And I was like, no, you're right about that. And I came out of the room slightly confused as to what it might mean for my future. Like, was this kind of predetermined thing? I mean, what if you didn't just have to pursue what everyone else pursues or create your destiny from scratch? What if there was a way of discovering the purpose you were designed to fulfill? What if you could discover the purpose that was forged for you, the purpose that you were forged for? What if you could do it by encountering the one who thought you up before one of your days even came to be? We see in this passage that trust in God's, trust in God's favor in your life enables purpose to flourish in your life. Without trust, things can't grow. It's hard to discover your purpose without trusting that God made you for a purpose, that he has good purposes for your lives, that your life has meaning. It's not just random. But how do you trust in that when life is difficult, when it's contested, when things aren't going your way, when it's confusing, when things aren't working out the way you had hoped, when other people maybe doubt or question your significance and you even doubt that yourself? Well, Mary was a young woman. She was a teenager. She just got engaged. She was from a very poor background. She was almost certainly completely uneducated. She was from a slightly rough town. People said, what good has ever come out of Nazareth? People in the surrounding area looked down on people from that town. And she was apparently not living a very significant life, nor was she ever likely to live a life of much significance. And one day an angel comes to her and says, greetings you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. And understandably, she's greatly troubled. And she wonders, what does this mean? And the angel says, have no fear, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and his, he will reign, and his kingdom will have no end. I mean, just picture the scene. Young girl in the middle of nowhere being told all of that. This is it. This is the moment. Untold significance. Extraordinary significance. And if you were her, you, you could kind of think, well, I don't really believe in angels, so I'm just going to try and pretend this hasn't happened. You can say, well, maybe I do believe in angels, but I don't really want to hear what you've just said, so I'll just ignore it. You could say, actually, it's kind of you to suggest that, but I'm, I'm terrified. I don't, I don't really want that to be my life, thanks. You could say, well, thanks for picking me, but there's a really lovely young woman just two doors down. She'd be much better at this, much more ambitious, much nicer. Go and ask Sally. 
But Mary has remarkable trust. She doesn't question she's highly favoured. She doesn't question that God is with her. The one question she asks is how. And that's a good question. You know, how practically will this happen? Because no one's ever had a baby like this before. One of the reasons I think Mary found favour with God is demonstrated by her response. It's a response full of trust because what God says about her and her purpose is more important to her than her circumstances, her background, her limitations, her family, her occupation, her location, even than what she thinks about herself. And I wonder if you believe that might be true of you today, that what God says about you is more significant than how other people view you, what expectations your parents might have of you. The limitations in your life at the moment. Your occupation. You know, in a really particular way, Mary experienced the favour and the presence of God. But what is particularly true for Mary is generally true for you. If you know and love Jesus, it says in 2 Corinthians 6, this is the time of the Lord's favour. Now, we're experiencing it. Right now, when you place your trust in Jesus, you experience God's favour. His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his love, his power, his sovereignty, his providence in your life. Turning even the most difficult, challenging, complicated things in your life for good and for his glory. I wonder if you believe that tonight. You could say that this week when you're out at a party, you know, about this time of year you have a lot of parties and people sometimes stuck, they say, well, what do you do? You do? And you could, you don't have to tell them what you do, you could just say, oh, what I do is I experience God's favour. Night, you know, morning, noon and night, 24-7. That's all I do, I just experience God's favour. You can't wash it off me, it's always on me, I experience God's favour. Like, oh, that's interesting, thanks so much. <laughs> Maybe you've got a performance appraisal this week, you know, end of year... No, go and see your boss. Before we go any further, I know there are targets. I know there's things I've got to do. I know there's, you're going to perform me against your measures. But before you take any decisions about my bonus or about my salary, I want you to know this. I experience God's favour. I experience his favour in my life. And that means some of it is going to rub off on this company. Some of it is going to rub off on this institution. Some of it is going to rub off on this hospital. Some of it might even rub off on you. And therefore, I want you to take that into account when you're deciding my salary rise. It's like the favour of God. Whatever you're facing, however it looks, even when it's contested. I worked for a number of years as a criminal lawyer and there were times where I felt that. I felt like God was with me, like his hand was on me, like I was experiencing his favour. And there were times like it felt the opposite of that, like God was absent, like I must have upset him in some way. It was difficult. One case in particular, for whatever reason, it was a combination probably of the the subject matter of the case. It was a really big case. It was very tricky. It was complex. It was hard fought. It just got under my skin. And as the weeks went on, I just felt the pressure and tension rising with this case. Every hearing, hugely stressful. It just built and built and built and built. became more and more complicated. The personalities involved, more and more complex. And it got to a stage where for the first time in my life, it started to affect my sleep. 2 a.m., I woke up in the middle of the night one night. And when you wake up at 2 a.m., it's dark. And the darkness, it is dark. (laughs) That you might never have experienced it, but... 
And actually, the dark of the night, in the dark of the night, the worries of the day loomed much larger in my mind. And my faith felt very small. And even like those irrational fears, those irrational thoughts started to come right to the surface. And, you know, oh, maybe you're unqualified. Maybe you're not very good at this. What if you lose the case and you're humiliated? You're kidding yourself. You know, you don't have the right background to do this job. And I tried to pray. You know, I'm sure God's got my back. I'll pray to God. I'll turn my worries into prayers. We know we're supposed to do that. But it didn't really help because there was this other voice saying, well, what if God's not listening to your prayers? What if God doesn't care about your prayers? Actually, what if God's not there at all? Aren't you putting quite a lot of faith in this whole faith thing? What if it's not real? What if it's not true? Then you're on your own. And suddenly in the middle of the night, I felt very vulnerable and very alone. Thinking, maybe I should have been a tree surgeon. You know? <laughs> it was a really tough couple of days. And um, it was a bit confusing. Moments where, you know, unusually for me, I, I kind of felt almost on the edge of tears as I was walking from building to building. And then, you know, we got, started to get through the trial, through the case. And I felt almost God say, look, you, you didn't get here on your own. You're not gifted enough. You're not skilled enough. I brought you here. I've placed you here. There's a purpose in your presence here. And given I've got you here, I'm not going to let go of you. Now you are here. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I was like, well, it doesn't feel like I'm experiencing. No matter how you feel, I am with you. I'm on the inside of you. I'm closer than your breath. And whether you feel it or not, you can experience my favor and we got through the trial and you know it went well but that wasn't the most important thing because it felt for two months like I was at sea in a storm but when I look back now I see that as a time when I was experiencing the very real favor and protection of God in my life he was with me Mary was known as the Theotokos the God bearer in a unique extraordinary physical way she bore God. She actually bore within herself God. Mary bore in her womb the one who formed her womb. She who was created carried her creator. And then as real a spiritual sense, when you place your trust in Jesus, God by his Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are a bearer of God. You carry him with you wherever you go. You cross the threshold at work tomorrow. You carry the presence of God with you. You step into the ward. You carry the presence of God with you. You step into the classroom. You carry the presence of God with you. Chatting to your friends in those difficult conversations with extended family members, you carry the presence of God with you. When you feel alone and you feel like you're kind of on your own, you're not sure it's going to work out, you carry the presence of God with you. The Spirit of God takes up residence in you, you carry in you the one who thought you up before one of your days came to be. And you can trust he has a purpose for you. You can trust he's committed to you because he dwells within you. And he can turn the hardest things in your life for your good and for his glory. Purpose isn't a destination that you try and search for. It's a destiny, a design that you discover. And it's a design that the designer helps you discover. 
And you can say, well, it's easy for Mary. She had an angel. I have an angel. I'm on my, I have an angel. Well, maybe you have some people around you who can support you and speak into your life. If not, we'd love to find you a great group. A group of people who can be praying with you and encouraging you and help you grow in your faith. It's one of the things that's made the biggest difference to my faith over the years. You might not have an angel, but you might have a Bible. I mean, Mary didn't have a Bible, really. You know, she'd probably seen one. She might have heard it read, but almost certainly she couldn't read. All she knew of the Bible was what she'd heard other people read and memorized. She didn't have the New Testament. You can read the very Word of God anytime you like. And if you don't have a Bible, let me know. And I'll find someone to buy you a Bible. And if they won't, I'll buy you a Bible. You can open the Word of God and the Spirit of God who lives within you, who inspired the words of Scripture to be written, will take those words of Scripture and impress them upon your heart and help them to lead and guide you into whatever lies ahead of you. It might be to speak to, oh, hi there. It might be to, speak to that person or to that person or that person in the corner. What are you doing over there? A person over there and he will guide you. The Spirit of God is invested in you. He wants to see you fulfill the purposes for which you were made. And if you ask him, he will guide you. And when you trust that, you can trust that you're not an accident because your life matters. You can trust that the God who thought you up has come down and come close to you. You can trust that the God who designed you has come to dwell within you. You can trust that his name is Jesus and his kingdom will have no end. And he's committed to you because he's made his home in you. And the one who created you for a purpose is powerful to fulfill that purpose in your life. Why? Because Jesus is great, because he's the son of the most high. And God has given him his throne and his kingdom will have no end. So you can trust him. And as you trust him, his purpose will start to flourish in your life. Trust enables purpose to flourish. But then we also see obedience establishes purpose. Now obedience is not a popular word. In our culture, we don't like the idea of surrendering our freedom to anyone, actually. We resist it, we avoid it. But at its root, obedience means to hear well, to listen well, to listen to God's voice and to respond to it. To be obedient to God, you have to listen to Him. Listen to Him about how you live your life, listen to Him about the decisions you take, listen to Him about your priorities. I wonder where in your life, right now, tonight, you're finding it hard to obey God. Whether obedience is just tugging and it's it's like, oh, I'm happy over here, but that, I don't really want to do that. I can live with this, but that area, now that's off limits. You know, you might have your own plans, your own preferences. Are you prepared to listen to God's purposes? Mary Douglas had plans for her life. You know, she probably wanted to marry Joseph, raise a family, live surrounded by her family, build a home, take her place in the community, probably even see her children's children grow up. And Mary, like all of us, faced a great choice. Would she experience her life with greater control outside of God's purposes or a life with greater risk and uncertainty within God's purposes? And we soften this story, but it's not easy and it's not fuzzy. Mary faced the fear of the huge responsibility of bearing and raising the one who would save the world. 
I mean, if you think about that for more than a second, it would crush you. The responsibility of that. Imagine if Jesus started choking as a baby. Like, what? Get Get it out. Quick. Has he got a cold? We're not sure. Is it something serious? We don't know. Oh, watch that horse. Stressful. They lost him for three days. Can you imagine losing the saviour of the world for three days? I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Rushing around Jerusalem. Where is he? Mary had to go up to her mum and dad as a young woman where being pregnant where you weren't yet married was a source of huge shame and a shame and honour culture. A culture where everyone would have had an opinion about that and about her. A culture in which actually technically there was still a risk of stoning for adultery. And she had to go up to her mum and dad and say, Mum, Dad, I'm pregnant. No, it's not Joseph's. But it's great news. He's the saviour of the world. <laughs> I can imagine the aunties and the uncles. like she's, she's pregnant at a wedlock and she thinks she's something as well. Who she thinks she is? I mean, Mary had to go up to Joseph, her fiancé, and say, Joseph, it's a little bit complicated, but I'm pregnant. It's not yours, but that's good news. <laughs> not just for you, but for everyone. That's complicated. She had no way of knowing what he'd do if he would divorce her, if she faced a life alone, raising this child on her own, with very little income, ostracized, a source of shame to her family and her community. I so admire Mary. Young, vulnerable, taking on huge risk to herself. She chose obedience. Mary took the risk of punishment of death to bear the one who would conquer death. Mary took the risk of a life of shame to bear the one who would take all our shame away. Mary took the risk of wrecking her relationships with everyone she held dear in order that she might bear the one who would restore our relationships with the one who first loved us. Seeing it all, the risk, the cost. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Remarkable obedience. Now, obedience at the time feels like a great risk, but the greatest risk is to hear from God and to do nothing or to do the opposite and not respond. Obedience is risky, but in life it's the only path to true security. It might cost you. It might mean you'll face some trouble. The truth is, sometimes finding favour with God means you face trouble with everyone else. The world and the rest of them might come for you, but it's worth it. Do it anyway. Sometimes you have to let go of your plans to hold, take hold of God's purposes. Do it anyway. Sometimes you have to surrender your dreams to discover your destiny. It's worth it. Do it anyway. Yes, it might cost you. Yes, it might mean you face some trouble. Sometimes giving up, surrendering to God feels like you're losing all your freedom. But the only way in life you will be truly free is by bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. And when the sovereign Lord of all power and authority finds a person fully surrendered to him, anything is possible.
not long ago, I, um, I saw a friend whose husband died, and they had a number of um, relatively young children, and this woman you know, was, was going to have to continue raising her family with her greatest support of strength. You know, friendship, gone. And in her eyes, I obviously saw the grief and the sadness and the confusion and the tiredness. But I also saw something else. I just saw this complete trust in God and this complete desire to be obedient to him, whatever it took. And it reminded me of Elizabeth Elliot. And you'll know the story of Elizabeth and Jim Elliot, who who met as missionaries and had this desire to see a tribe who had never heard the gospel encounter Jesus. And they went to minister to them, and the first time Jim Elliot met with them, it was quite positive, but the second time they actually killed him. And Elizabeth Elliot decided that she was going to devote the next two years of her life to coming alongside, to supporting, to being with, and to trying to communicate the gospel to this group of people who had murdered her husband. An extraordinary decision to take. And she wrote this. Does it make sense to pray about the future if we're not obeying God in the thing that lies before us today? How many momentous events are dependent on one person's seemingly small act of obedience? Rest assured, do what God wants you to do now and depend on it, you'll be shown what to do next. I mean, Mary didn't have it all worked out. She didn't know what was going to happen. All she had was her trust in God's purpose and her obedience to his voice and a willingness to take the next step. Huge sacrifice. Willingness to take on huge risk. But small acts of obedience attract great favour. What does that look like? Well, it might look like coming to church even when you're going through a valley, even when it hurts you to be here, even when you're singing and you don't even feel like you want to sing the songs. When the last thing you want to do on the face of the earth is to worship God, and yet you worship him because trusting him to turn even the most painful things in your life for good. Could be being bold about your faith in a workplace or in the pub or in your college or in your university. Just being a bit more open about what motivates you, what your passion is. Maybe sending a text, inviting someone to a carol service. It seems so small, but it could have such an impact across the generation, through the generations. One text message, one WhatsApp, one DM on Instagram. It might mean trusting God when he says this relationship is not good for you and you need to take a step away. It might mean trusting him when you're going through a hard season in your marriage and everything in you wants to cut and run. But you feel God saying, no, No, I I called you together. It might mean serving faithfully a boss who you find very difficult. It might mean surrendering your plans in order to take hold of his purposes. Sometimes it means you have to take a stand of integrity in your workplace. Even though you feel very alone. I'll never forget a good friend of mine moved to a new city to take up a new job. Moved his family. Massive deal. Week one. Going okay, day one, day two, day three, he had a meeting with the board of directors. He had a place on the board by virtue of his job. He looked at the agenda for the first board meeting at this new company, having moved everyone. Item three, he suddenly realized, was an ethical issue, an issue of conscience for him. 
and he couldn't agree with the decision the company was taking. He said, I don't believe this. I've just got to, I've got to, I've got to object. He's like, this is not how I want my third day at work to go. He turns up to the board meeting in the boardroom. The chair is there. He's never even met the chair of the board before. Everyone's around the table. He's just kind of perched on the end, the new person. Item one, rush through. Item two, rush through. Item three, they get to it. The board chair says, well, this is pretty non-contentious. Uh, should we just push this through without a vote? And then he, at the end, has to go, <clears throat> he's like, yeah? He's like, who's this guy? He's never even seen him before. He's like, oh, oh, oh yeah, hi. He said, look, I, we, we do have to have a vote because this is an issue of conscience for me. It's, it's an ethical issue, and I disagree with the decision, so I want to register my disagreement. So the person on his right and on his left moved their chairs a foot away from him as he was speaking. He felt so isolated. The chair kind of shrugged and said, okay, they had a vote. 15 to 1. He was completely on his own. After the meeting, over coffee, he sat there sipping his tea, thinking, this is not going well. He said it felt like he had an infectious disease. No one came within three meters of him. Went back to his office, thought, this could go really badly wrong. But a couple of days later, the chair of the board knocked on his door and came in. He said, can I chat to you? He's like, Ooh. He said, yeah. He said, um, that was a bold thing to do in your first board meeting. He was like, well, yeah, I know, but I thought, I thought I had to be honest. It was an issue of integrity for me. And the board said, you do realize we have probation periods here, don't you? He was like, yes. <laughs> he didn't realize that, but now he did. <laughs> he said, well, I just want you to know the fact you did that First board meeting, you must have a very high level of integrity. I disagree with you, but it means I can trust you. So you've got a big client. I need someone with high integrity. I'd like you to take that on. Is that okay? He's like, yes, that's okay. <laughs> Small acts of obedience attract great favor. Sometimes it doesn't always work out the way you hope. I still remember speaking at a church, and just as a throwaway line in a talk, I said, you know, maybe you're on... A board and you know the company's taking a decision which you think you know, has, has, has been doing something which you think is ethically wrong you need to stand up and challenge the board about it completely forgot about it five months later someone came up to me and they said um, this, this woman came up to me and she said I, I, I found your talk so helpful five months ago I said what talk she said oh you know you said challenge the board if, if, if there's an ethical decision I was like I said People are listening when I speak? I was like, she's like, she was like, well, I did it. I said, what happened? She said, oh, they fired me. I was like, <laughs> I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that would happen. She said, oh, don't worry about it. She said, I got fired from that club. I now sleep much better. I, you know, God will deal with them. I don't think what they're doing is right. But I've got a job at a new company now. I'm fine. She said, but you said God was faithful. Why are you so surprised? I was like, no, he is. Yeah, I, I mean, I... <laughs> Small acts of obedience attract great favor. Look at Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Does that phrase remind you of anything? Mary, nine months later, gave birth to Jesus. Raised him up. Hers was the face he looked at as he fed. Hers was the face he looked at as he grew. Hers was the voice he heard more than any other. Dallas, as he grew, she told him, her, about her encounter with an angel, but she couldn't have known, she wouldn't have known 
that as she surrendered her life to God's will, that 34 years later, Jesus would have been in a garden on the Mount of Olives, on his knees before his father, anticipating all that it would cost him, all that was to come, that he would have to bear the weight of the winds, the world's sin on his shoulders, your sin, my sin, in order to win forgiveness, redemption, to approach God as much-loved daughters, much-loved sons, seeing all that, seeing the cost of that, he was on his knees, And he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was prepared to do that, even though it looked that the very thing he was approaching, his own death, would undermine the promise that he had received. You know, his kingdom would never end. He had a trust and obedience in his Father to the end, to death. To trust that even the very thing that seemed to undermine and subvert God's purpose in his life could be turned for good and for God's glory and become the very means by which God fulfilled his purpose through him. Trust enables purpose to flourish in your life. Obedience establishes God's purpose in your life. Just think what would happen as we bow the knee to him and say, Lord, I'm your servant. May it be to me as you say. In Jesus' name, amen.